This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. We find ourselves in the, the midst of a no man's land here in the fact that we have uh, finished up our practical Christianity series yet not quite ready to start a new series. Uh, and so next week is our Be the Church Night. And so I didn't want to start a series tonight uh, because you know, we um, uh, don't want to start a series on one night and then take a break the next Sunday night. And so we'll start a brand new series on November 6th on fasting. Uh, majority of people have never heard uh, a full message on pa- fasting, much less an entire series, and so I want to help you with that. Uh, it's a great uh, truth from the Bible, a great spiritual discipline that the majority of Christians don't know anything about, and so uh, we'll be taking a look at that. Uh, on Sunday nights until the first of the year, first of the year, on Sunday nights we're going to go through a brand new book of the Bible, and we're not going to tell you what it is yet. And so uh, just let the suspense build. And so um, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 here tonight. Uh, entitled tonight's message is The Devastation of Anger, Bitterness, and Unforgiveness. Um, I put together this message several weeks ago um, because as I talk with Christians so often uh, in marriages, so often in families, uh, so often in work situations, somebody's gotten offended, they've gotten their feelings hurt, they, they hold anger bitterness towards other people, and then it begins to, to destroy everything around them. And so uh, I just want to give you some practical help from the book of Ephesians tonight on how, how to help you with the devastation of anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse number 20. <laughs> uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse number, actually, uh, let's start in verse number 22. Actually, you know what, let's... um. Sorry, thank you for being gracious. Verse number 17, let's just back up there. I, w- I want you to see the context here again because Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus basically tell them, hey, we don't handle our business the way that unsaved people do. We're, we're different as Christians. Uh, this I say there, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. Hey, other people deal with their problems in a different way because they don't know Jesus. Uh, Their minds have been darkened to truth. They can't grasp biblical truth the way that you and I have. And they haven't learned about the grace of God specifically through Jesus Christ. Verse number 20. Verse number 21. But if so, that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22 and 23 are critical. That you put off concerning the former conversation of the old man. That word conversation means the way you, you used to live your life before, your testimony before. Put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt, according to deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on a new man, which after God is created in righteousness with true holiness. Verse 22, 23, and 24, I want you to underline, if you're writing your Bible, underline these, these words in that verse. Put off, verse 23, be renewed. Verse number 24, put on. 
So we're putting off the old man. We're renewing our mind. Romans chapter 12, verse number 2 tells us how to do that. And now we're putting on the new man, which is what? Which is after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Verse 25. Wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands that thing which is good that he may give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is to the good, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Verse 32 is a critical verse. I want you to circle that in your Bible as well. You're going to need that at some point in the future. As we talk about things like anger, all of us have a different, uh, I guess, things that set us off, things that cause us to be angry. Uh, some of us handle it better than others. Uh, some of us uh, are good at processing through anger, not letting things get to them. Uh, I had a couple one time where I, I, was, I said at a marriage conference, hey, if you don't have uh, disagreements and arguments in your marriage, it's probably not healthy. Uh, because there's going to be conflict. You can't put two sinners under the same roof that see eye to eye 100% of the time. Uh, and um, a guy came to me after that. I said, Pastor, me and my wife just don't fight. We just um, figured that there's not anything in life worth getting mad over. Uh, and we just, uh, we don't do it. And this is a guy, like, I don't know what it would take to make him angry. But, but like, if you slash the tires on his car, he'd be like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Just like, but people like that are so few and far between. I don't know about you, I get offended really easily. Uh, it's very easy for, for something to set me off. Now, I'm different in the fact that I could be seething with rage on the inside and you never know it. I contain it very well. Uh, I compartmentalize well, if you will. But anger is one of those things that if we don't deal with it, we don't process through it in a healthy, godly, biblical way, spiritual way, it begins to seethe uh, and ruin other aspects of our life, and it creeps deep down in our heart, and it turns to something ugly that's later very difficult to deal with. And so when we talk about anger, verse number 26 tells us, if you take a look at that uh, in our text here tonight, be angry and sin not. The fact that anger is an emotion and can be used for a positive force. There's a such thing as a righteous anger. So again, when we talk about righteous anger, this is the type of anger that doesn't cause us to sin. Now again, when we get angry, when we begin to think bad thoughts or say bad things or be unkind to people or, uh, or things along those lines, we've crossed the line into unrighteous anger for sure. When we talk about things like righteous anger, uh, we're talking about things like anger against sin, uh, anger against injustice, uh, the works of Satan. These are examples of righteous anger. Every time I hear about someone who has committed a sin of immorality, I am immediately angry. I'm not mad at the person, I'm mad at sin, I'm mad at the flesh, I'm mad at the devil, I'm mad that people can't hear biblical truth and live it out. I'm angry against sin. That's okay. I'm angry that we live in a society today that is falling over itself to continue to kill unborn children. 
that companies will advertise on the homepage of their website that they care so much for the, quote, reproductive health of their employees that they're willing to pay to send them to states where they can have abortions. And they're championing that cause as if it's a badge of honor. That makes me angry. I'm angry that we live in a nation today where you can kill a child for $500, but it costs you about $50,000 to adopt a child. That makes me angry. Instead of having government subsidized abortions, we should have government subsidized adoptions where taxpayer dollars actually go towards actually keeping kids alive and giving them a home where they'll be loved and, and, and encouraged. Things like that make me angry. Now, if I take that anger, I'm going to go out and I'm going to stand up with a bullhorn in front of our politician's home and shout ugly things at them and I'm going to pick it uh, and, and have a bad testimony. Now I've crossed the line. My anger is no longer righteous. It's now an unrighteous anger. And so there's a line there. And so we have to examine our hearts uh, even against righteous anger to ensure that it's not a heart of pride. Again, early on in my uh, walking with Jesus as a young adult, I had uh, began to champion the cause of Christ, and uh, I took great uh, pride in pointing out the faults and failings of other people and called them to holiness and called them to righteousness. You're in sin. God's never going to bless your life as long as you're in sin. You need to get things right with God. Uh, well, you, were you a pastor? No, I was just barely starting to attend church at that time. And I thought in my heart, man, I'm championing the cause of righteousness, but actually I felt like I was better than these people and I wanted to put them in their place and I wanted them to get on my level. And so again, I've, I've grown a lot in the last uh, couple of decades where that's no longer the case, but we have to examine our hearts even in the case of righteous anger. Is this pride? Uh, is, is this uh, a champion, uh, this cause that I'm championing, is this a result of my own carnal heart? We gotta ask ourselves that question. Now, this passage of Scripture doesn't deal with righteous anger. Hey, all of you that are angry against injustice, uh, angry against things like human trafficking in the world where human beings are being sold for sexual exploitation, that should cause anybody who loves justice and loves Jesus uh, to be angry in a righteous sense. We're not, that's not the type of anger that we're talking about tonight. We're talking about a destructive type of anger Unrighteous anger is the result of the old carnal man of the flesh. Unrighteous anger is, I feel like I've been done wrong and somebody needs to pay for what they've done. Now again, sometimes if we have been wronged by a brother or sister in Christ and uh, there can be an anger there, this, this even a righteous anger. Hey, uh, this was, I was wronged and I want to make this right with my brother or sister in Christ. But unrighteous anger flares up when it's not something that uh, should hit the level of anger. It's a result of our own old carnal flesh that refuses to die. Again, uh, verse number 22 in our passage here, that you put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is what? Corrupt. It's corrupt with what? Deceitful lusts. And so again, when somebody says, oh, you know, I, I struggle with anger, or I'm angry all the time, or something like that, it's an indication of carnality. And so again, we have to examine our hearts against that type of anger. Uh, again, when I uh, feel myself getting angry sitting in the car uh, with people who do not know how to drive, I have to stop myself and say, is this worth being angry over? I, I used to, uh, when I would take my daughter to, to school in the morning, 
I would put on the Waze app on my phone and I would constantly try to find ways to cut two and three minutes off of my drive and I'm uh, going down these side streets where people are parking on both sides of the road and I can barely fit my car down the middle of it to try and save two minutes and I'm angry because these people are parking their cars on the side of the road and uh, somebody opened up their door and almost took their door off and you just took my two minutes that I had saved and I'm angry about it. That's a result of carnality. That's not righteous anger. And you know what I did? I know how to get home. I'm not going to put it in my GPS. I don't care if there's construction. I'm going to put on worship music, and I'm just going to walk with Jesus on the way home. And I tell you what, all that anger subsided. I, I don't care that somebody pulled out in front of me. Hey, I'll let you go. It's no problem at all. I don't care if somebody's blocking an intersection. I got, I got my music on. I'm just, however long it takes me to get home is however long it takes me to get home. But it took a shift in my heart where I recognized my anger was not serving me well. Contention is a result of pride. The Bible says only by pride cometh contention. If there's drama in your marriage, it's a result of pride. If there's drama in your workplace, it's a result of pride. If there's drama with your kids, it's a result of pride. Problems with your neighbor, result of pride. Drama in the church, result of pride. Pride destroys everything it touches. Uh, but the Bible tells us only by pride comes contention. And so, again, when there's anger, we must immediately stop and ask ourselves the question, is this pride on my part? Whenever there's drama in the workplace, i got to stop and ask the question, is this pride on my part? There's a little bit of tension in my marriage. i got to stop and ask, is this pride on my part? Because the Bible says only by pride comes contention. Unrighteous anger gives place to the devil and causes us to believe lies. Verse number 27, if you take a look at that in our text. Verse 26 says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Isn't it interesting that that kind of gets thrown in there in the middle of that? The number one weapon that the devil uses against Christians and against the world is lies. The devil hates the truth. The Bible says that the devil is the father of all lies. Every single false religion in the world was built by Satan himself because at the root of it is a lie, that there's something greater than our God. The system of this world is built upon a lie that was crafted by Satan himself. What the world has to offer you is greater than what God has to offer you. That was a lie crafted by Satan himself. He said, well, I don't really know if I believe that. Read the book of Genesis. What did Satan say to Eve? What God is offering you is not as great as what you want for yourself. Just go ahead and take it. And what did she do? She took it. And so when it says neither give place to the devil in correlation with anger, we need to make sure that we're not believing the lies of the devil. Oftentimes in, in, in conflict, it's easy to draw lines that aren't actually there. Oh, this person hates my guts. This person's against me. The whole world's against me. My spouse doesn't love me anymore. All because of what? Be oftentimes because we believe the lie. We've allowed ourselves to, to hear something that isn't true. We've allowed ourselves to believe something in our heart that isn't true. Uh, and then we begin to believe a lie. When unrighteous anger goes unchecked, unforgiveness comes when we're offended and feel as if we are owed something. And this is the major issue with forgiveness. And again, there's been tons of books written from a secular and Christian perspective on forgiveness, but it's really, really basic on the most basic level. Let me say this while we're on the topic of forgiveness. 
uh, that again, many times pop psychology and um, wannabe Christian literature will begin to talk about things like forgiving yourself. You can read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you'll never find a single verse about forgiving yourself. Just not there. You'll find verses on leaning on the grace of God, trusting in the grace of God, but, but self-forgiveness isn't a thing. Being willing to accept and receive the grace of God, that's a thing. Being willing to repent of your own pride and seek the forgiveness of God, that's a thing. But self-forgiveness isn't really a thing. But unforgiveness takes place when I have been offended and now someone owes me something. And for forgiveness to take place, this person has to make things right. And the question comes every time someone struggles with unforgiveness. I'm angry with my husband. I can't seem to forgive him for X. Uh, I'm upset with my parents because they did this and I can't forgive them for X. I was talking with someone two weeks ago, no lie, and they said, uh, my dad did this to me and I've never been able to forgive him. Well, what's your relationship like with your dad now? He's been dead for 20 years. Okay. And you're still angry. Absolutely. And I refuse to forgive him. Okay. You're going to carry that the rest of your life unless you deal with that particular issue. So again, the question comes, if someone has wronged you and you harbor unforgiveness, here's the critical question. What will make this right? What's the one thing that can be done to make this situation right? How can we resolve this and bring this to resolution? Is it an apology? Would that make things right? If this person came and said, hey, I'm sorry for what I did, would you be willing to forgive them of this particular case? Maybe it's financial restitution. Hey, somebody did this and I lost X amount of dollars. If they cut you a check for X amount of dollars, would that settle things and you'd be able to release yourself from the unforgiveness that you hold? Would it be repentance? Would that make everything okay and make everything go back to normal? Hey, maybe a confession of wrongdoing. Somebody just says, hey, I was 100% wrong in this situation. Would that cause you to release that unforgiveness? And nine times out of 10, what I have found when I ask people the question, hey, what would your dad have to do to make things right? They often in answer say, I don't think he could ever make it right. And therein lies the problem of unforgiveness. It's not about an apology. It's not about a change. It's not about repentance. It's not about, uh, again, somebody turning their life around. It's not about somebody cutting a check. There's a deeper rooted issue somewhere in that unforgiveness that this person who has been the offender, because you harbor such anger and unforgiveness against them, they could never possibly do anything to make it right. There's no way to resolve this situation. And so again, for the, uh, the person who has has a father who has been dead for 20 years. What would make that right? You can't make it right. And so then the question comes, can this situation even be made right? Well, if they would just apologize, I would forgive them. Well, I don't think they're going to apologize. And how long do you wait for an apology? Six months? A year? 10 years? 20 years? How long are you willing to carry the weight, the crushing weight of unforgiveness? the crushing weight of bitterness. How long will you allow that to seethe in your heart where you cannot love and live the way that you should because you are consumed with anger? How long do you carry that before you say, this isn't helping me be the person that I need to be? Can the situation even be made right? 
I had a family member years ago who wronged me in a serious way. And they refused to apologize. How long did you carry that? I carried it for about three years. And it destroyed me. It hurt me. It caused me sadness. It caused me anger. It caused me bitterness. It caused trust issues with other people. But I was not about to let go of that unforgiveness. And here's the worst part for anyone who harbors sin for an extended period of time. Any hurt that you have in your heart, any anger, bitterness, sometimes even uh, sadness that we have, these feelings become so comfortable to us because we've chosen to lie down in these feelings that these feelings become our identity. I don't know who I am without my hurt. I don't know who I am without my anger and rage. It fuels me, it fills me. I spoke with a man several years ago who was abused by his mother as a child. He was in his 50s. And he said, you know what, Pastor? I'll always be that abused little boy. And I said, you don't have to be. You don't have to be. You can forgive your mother and move on. And he said, my mother would never apologize for the things that she's done to me. I tried to talk to her. She refuses to acknowledge that she ever did anything wrong. And he said, so I guess I'll just have to carry this the rest of my life. No, you don't. There's a better way. But for him, at 50 years old, he had created his whole identity, his whole life around. I'll never be loved by anybody because I can never be loved by my own mother. I'll never be able to love anyone else because I don't know how to love because my mother didn't love me. And all of these relationships in his life that were damaged, he traced back to his relationship with his mother. And he said, I could just never forgive her for what she's done. And so there's a path of this unresolved anger that if we don't take care of it, we don't confess it, we don't repent of it, it begins to destroy our lives. We see verse number 29. Back up to verse 26. It says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. This isn't part of tonight's message. This is a really good tip for you. God gives you a time period to fix your, your anger. And it's very brief. You got to the end of the day to sort it out. Tomorrow's a new day. You don't get to carry your anger over to tomorrow. So get it squared away today. If you're mad with somebody, you can be mad at them until you go to bed, and then after that, it's a new day. You got a problem with somebody, resolve it today. You don't have a promise of tomorrow. You can be angry if you want to, but you don't get to be angry for a couple of days, couple of weeks, couple of months, couple of years. You have to deal with it as uh, on the day that it happens, according to the Bible. And this path of unresolved anger, verse number 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is the good to the use of edify, that they minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit, verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away with you with all malice. Here's what happens is anger turns to bitterness. Again, we're offended, somebody makes us angry, and that anger goes a little bit deeper and it turns to bitterness. Now this anger that I had over maybe a particular situation begins to cloud my judgment over this person as a whole. Or maybe a, a, this bitterness begins to consume my perspective of life as a whole. Now I don't think that this person is a bad person. I think that all people are bad people. I remember one woman who had been betrayed by her husband through immorality and his husband had left her for another woman said, 
all men are pigs, no men can be trusted, all men are unfaithful, and just began to have this perspective of life that just wasn't reality. And it traced back to a root of bitterness. Anger turns to bitterness, and bitterness turns to resentment. Resentment is dangerous because you don't even want to be around that person any longer. You don't want to hear their name mentioned any longer. I've heard spouses say before, I can't even eat in the same room as him. The sound of him chewing his food makes me angry. That's just like, wow. I, I think you're harboring a little bitterness. I'm not bitter. Okay, okay. Okay. But again, we, that's resentment. Like, I don't even want to be in the same room with you. I don't want to look at you. I can't even be around you. And then resentment turns then to hatred. I don't like you, and I don't like anything about you. I have deep-seated, passionate hatred towards you. And let me just tell you, as a Christian, this is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. To get the bitterness is really, really bad. But when we get to bitterness, to resentment, to hatred, you're not walking with Jesus. Your, your relationship with God is massively, massively impacted if you even have a relationship left with God at this point. In marriages, when we get to this stage here, I tell people this is kind of your last opportunity to patch things up before things go over the edge, uh, possibly to a point of no return. Because hatred I can still work with in, in, in counseling couples with because hatred is a passionate emotion. I'm so attached to this situation that I have deep-seated emotions. Granted, they're in a negative sense, but I am passionate about this person because when we go to the next level, hatred then turns to absolute utter indifference. I just don't care anymore. I had a man tell me, his wife says, hey, I think I'm going to move out and get my own place. And he said, okay, I'll help you pack. That's beyond hatred. It's gone to complete and total indifference. If you want to leave, okay, I'll help you pack a bag. I'll even be on the lookout for apartments for you if you like. Just don't care. This is a dangerous place to be because you're numb to emotion. You're numb to the Holy Spirit. You've grieved the Holy Spirit. You've likely quenched the Holy Spirit. You don't hear biblical truth. You don't hear godly wisdom. You just flat out don't care at this point. And this is a dangerous place to be because you can continue to sin against God, have a wrong heart before God, and it really doesn't bother you at all. And this is the progression that unresolved anger begins to take. That's why the Bible says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. If you're angry, get it fixed today because you can't carry this on tomorrow because the path that this goes is really, really ugly. And verse number uh, 31 tells us what happens when we're overcome. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and malice. We can't afford it. So when it comes to these feelings of unresolved anger, forgiveness isn't just an option. It's actually a command. It's not like, hey, I think you should forgive. It would probably relieve you of a little bit of stress and a little bit of burden. No, God is telling you, you must forgive. If you don't forgive, you're in sin. So now we move from just 
poor behavior or, man, I'm a little bit hot-headed and things like that. Now we move into the point of this unresolved anger that we refuse to forgive for, this unforgiveness that we have in our heart. Now it becomes a sin issue with God. Take a look at verse number 32. We're commanded, be kind one to another. If you're not kind to other people, you're in sin. Be tender-hearted towards other people. If you're not tender-hearted towards people, you're in sin. And I've heard people before say things like, hey, like, you don't know how I grew up, you know, like, I'm just kind of a rough dude. I'm not tender towards anybody. That's not in my DNA. Good. I'm glad to hear that because you're commanded in, in verse number, what, 22, to put off the old man. Good. Then let the old man die. Verse 23, be renewed. And then verse 24, put on the new man. Good. Now we're getting somewhere because you and your flesh are not tender, but you and the Spirit of God have the ability to be tender. Did you know gentleness and goodness are actually fruits of the Holy Spirit? They're not fruits of your flesh. Well, that's not how I was raised. Good. Then you have the opportunity to grow in your relationship with Christ by being tenderhearted, by growing and being gentle and forgiving other people. And how do we forgive, according to verse 32? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. And so to live with anger and unforgiveness isn't just unhelpful, it's a sin. This isn't just like, well, I'm not ready to forgive yet. Well, then you're disobeying God. Well, yeah, well, they don't deserve forgiveness. Then you're disobeying God. And we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. Somebody who doesn't deserve our forgiveness, what do we do? How do we handle that? Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says unforgiveness is such a big deal to him. Mark chapter 11, verse number 26, and this goes along with with the Lord's Prayer as well. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. If you're not willing to forgive somebody who sinned against you, God's not going to forgive you either. And so again, this has caused people a lot of uh, consternation with this idea. Well, if I withhold forgiveness from somebody else, God, God's promised to, to forgive me. Careful with that. God's promised to forgive you if you confess your sin to him. But if you continue to live in sin, God doesn't have to forgive anything. Again, 1 John 1, 9, beautiful verse in the New Testament. I hope you know it. If we confess our sin... Then he's faithful and just to do what? Forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it requires that we confess our sin. If we're living in sin, refuse to confess our sin, he doesn't have to forgive anything. And so if you want to hang on to your unforgiveness, just know your heavenly Father's not going to forgive you either. And friend, that's a dangerous place to live. Dangerous. And so again, I want to forgive because I've been commanded, and if not, I, I, my, my sin is upon myself. Well, this person sinned against me. Then you're sinning against God by not forgiving that person. So again, this isn't just an option. This isn't just something that's, hey, it's probably a good thing for you to forgive that person. You're required, commanded to forgive. So then we get into the idea of like, well, what if this person doesn't deserve my forgiveness? Oh, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. It's already been covered. 
as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Are you forgiving of, or are you deserving of God's forgiveness? Or you're not. And so that's how we forgive. We forgive regardless of whether or not people are deserving or not. Forgiveness unburdens ourselves of sin, uh, sinful and destructive feelings. Think about it this way. <laughs> Life is like a backpack that you carry around. Unforgiveness, you're putting like 45-pound weight plates in your backpack, and you're choosing to carry those around. And, and here's the thing. You're like, that's fine. I can carry around 45 pounds. That's not a big deal. It gets heavier every single day. Every day you wake up, throw another 45-pound plate in there, and you put your backpack on and you carry it. And the next day, you add another 45-pound plate to it. And you continue to carry And there comes a point where you can't get the backpack on anymore. And you can't even walk out the front door any longer. Because it has a sin has a progressive effect on you. Sin is like compound interest. It grows every single day. And it's not a matter of like, that's fine. I can carry my unforgiveness around for a couple of weeks. No, no, no. It gets harder every single day because then... After you've carried this, and I can speak to this by, by experience, after you carry that unforgiveness for weeks and months and years, to then go back and forgive that person requires you to admit that you've been wrong for the last 12 months, that you've been wrong to harbor unforgiveness against this person. And so now my unforgiveness gets met up against with pride because I have to admit that that person's not wrong, I'm wrong. I'm like, no, 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 no. This isn't my fault. They wronged me. But as I carry along around unforgiveness, I fall under the weight of my own sin and my own wrong heart. Here's the thing people say, well, I can't just forgive my dad for that because then that lets him off the hook, Right? I can't just forgive my spouse because it's almost like to say what they did was okay. And, and we feel almost like as long as I hang on to this unforgiveness, as long as I refuse to forgive this person, it gives me a little bit of leverage in this situation. Because once I forgive, man, I don't have any leverage. I don't have any bargaining chips, if you will. I got nothing to hold over their head because I forgive. It's like almost to say like what you've done is okay to me and it's not okay. Like if I forgive you, like you're never going to apologize then. If I forgive you, you're never going to make things right with me. To, to say that it, I forgive you is to give up any power that I have. But it's a wrong view of unforgiveness because unforgiveness and anger don't give you leverage. They destroy you. You don't have any power. You don't have any leverage. And here's what I found again by experience. The person that wronged me that I'm harboring all this anger and unforgiveness for, I think like I've got the upper hand in this situation because I'm continuing to hold on to anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. And one of these days you're going to have to come crawling back to me and apologize and then we'll see who has the power, right? Only to find out that person who's wronged me, they don't care. They've gone on with their life. They don't think about me and how this situation impacted me. 
And there's no power to be had here, only destruction in my own life. And friend, it's a lot easier to just say, hey, I forgive you and just move on with your life because there's no leverage to be had here. Unforgiveness and anger don't give you an advantage. They actually steal your joy. Unforgiveness and anger, please understand this. Sin cannot cohabitate with the Spirit of God. i say that again because you might need to write that down. Sin cannot cohabitate with the Spirit of God. So as long as you have anger and bitterness in your heart, you'll never experience love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance because that's the work of the Spirit. That's why, again, verse number 23 says, put off the old man first so that you can be renewed and that you can put on the new man because they can't coexist. They can't cohabitate. If you choose to hold on to anger and unforgiveness, you are forfeiting your own joy. You're hurting yourself by doing that. I don't know if anybody enjoys memes as much as I do, uh, but... There's this meme of this boy riding a bicycle and he takes a stick and he puts it in his own wheel and then he falls off of his bike and he cries about it. If you know what I'm talking about, it's funny to you. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you're like, you're an idiot. Okay, I'll take that. But joy is, but anger and unforgiveness is sticking a stick in your own bicycle spoke and falling over and then crying because you don't have any joy. You did it to yourself. You're stealing your own joy. By hanging on to feelings that are just destroying you. How do we get past that? Unforgiveness and anger don't give you power. They give that person power over you. That lady that I talked to who's mad at her dad who died 20 years ago, she's still bitter and angry with her dad. She hates his guts. 20 years after he's dead, he still has power over how you behave on a day-to-day basis. Hanging on to that unforgiveness doesn't help you. It just gives your dead father power over you today. That doesn't serve you well. The woman whose husband had been unfaithful and left her for another woman, and she continues to be angry and bitter, he's moved on with his life. He doesn't care about you any longer but you continue to give him power over you every single day to steal your joy and make your life miserable. You invite that person into your life despite the fact that they've hurt you and probably moved on with their life. You invite them into your life to tell you how you should feel today. To allow you to never experience the love of God or the love of God's people again. I can't tell you how many people that I've met before and they say, well, I don't go to church anymore. I got burned at church one time. I'm never going back. That one experience and that unforgiveness that you have keeps you from enjoying the joy of a loving, caring, God-loving church family. And you know, when people say that to me, I say, I went to a restaurant one time and got food poisoning, but I still go out to eat, you know? Like, I had a bad experience one time too, but I continue to do what I need to do. And so to hold on to unforgiveness gives that person who has wronged you power over your life. And you just can't do that. Here's the part that's hard for so many people is that forgiveness on your part requires no interaction from the other party. 
Get this. The person that's wronged you, you don't have to speak to them to forgive them. The person that's wronged you, you don't have to wait around for them to make it right. Again, that question earlier, what would make this situation right? You don't even have to wait around for that. I don't have to wait around for a phone call or somebody to apologize for something that they did 10 years ago to forgive them. I don't. I can choose to forgive. Because forgiveness is a choice, get this, forgiveness is a choice to release the offender of their obligation of the debt. Whatever they owed me, I'm just going to say it's forgiven. Well, if he would call me and apologize and make it right, I would forgive him then. Okay, just go ahead and forgive him, despite the fact that he's never going to call. Um, again, experience of mine. Family member hurt me. I carried unforgiveness and anger, bitterness, hatred at times for a period of probably about three years. It negatively affected my relationship with my wife. It negatively affected my relationship with my children. And it obviously affected my relationship with God. And there came a point where I just couldn't hold it anymore. I, I just couldn't hang on to that any longer. And I had to choose to forgive. And it came down to just telling God, I forgive this person for what they did to me. And I just want to move forward from here. And so... I did what I thought was the mature Christian thing to do, and I called the person who had offended me. And I'd already made things right in my heart before God. I held no anger and bitterness towards this person anymore, and it felt good to be free from that for a minute. It's like, it's like a, a release, just like, man, I've been carrying this heavy backpack that I just can't carry another five feet, and I finally got to put it off and just sit down for a minute and rest. And it's just like, this feels so good. I want to call this person and tell them that I forgive them. And so I called. I said, hey, for the longest time I've been really angry with you. I've carried around a lot of bitterness towards you. And I just can't do that anymore. And I want you to know that through everything that happened, I want you to know that I forgive you. There's silence on the other end of the phone. Well, Anthony, I appreciate that, I guess. I'm not really sure what I did to begin with to uh, offend you, but um, so I'm not sure what to say other than like, uh, thanks, I guess. And at that moment, rage filled my body. Rage. Are you kidding me? After three years, you're still going to sit there and say that you did nothing wrong. And like my hands started shaking, like I went like ice cold and began to sweat. And then it didn't happen audibly. I didn't see from God. God didn't come down as in the appearance of an angel, nothing like that. But it was almost like God said to me, hey, did you really forgive that? Did you really? And after a long pause on my end of the phone, I said, oh. That's okay, don't worry about it. All good. Okay, well, uh, thanks for calling, I guess. <laughs> Thank you. Talk to you soon. Hang up the phone. And no lie, I had to go back and ask God to forgive me again. Because now 
I had forgiven, but now there's a new offense, right? Now I'm angry again. And I said, I ask God, no, no, no. I really, 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 really forgive. And so let me just tell you this. If you choose to forgive someone, I don't know that I would always encourage you to call that person and tell them that. <laughs> it might not be the hallmark moment that you're waiting for. You know, you might not get that Christmas card in the mail this year that you were hoping, like, hey, thanks for calling. That meant a lot to me. So forgiveness is a choice to just say, hey, I let that person go. They don't owe me anything. I'm not angry anymore. And look, if, if I saw that person at Target, I'd go up to them, I'd give them a hug and tell them that I love them. Hey, if they ask me to come over for Thanksgiving meal, I might go over and have Thanksgiving with them. I don't hold any hard feelings towards anybody at all. I've, I'm able to forgive and cancel that person. Whatever I think they owe me, I'm going to cancel that debt. Whatever you feel like you're owed, just mark that debt as forgiven. You know, it's interesting how the leeches that our credit card companies actually work, you know. If you have a debt with a credit card agency and you don't pay your debt for long enough, they'll actually write your debt off the books. They actually have built into their, their balance sheets and budgets on a yearly basis bad debt that they're never actually going to be able to collect anyways. And they mark it as forgiven. And then they sell it off for pennies on the dollars to a collection agency who calls your phone incessantly for the next seven years and makes threats that they're going to arrest you and throw you in the debtor's prison and all this other awful stuff that should probably be illegal, right? But here's the thing. Once that debt's been written off and it's marked as forgiven by the, the credit card company or the debtor, and they write it off and send it to the collections agency, if you tried to call them back to pay that debt, they don't have a record of it. Like if, if Chase writes your credit card off and sells it to, you know, discount, you know, credit brokers or whatever, and you call back to Chase to make a payment, they don't have a record of your account at all. You don't owe them a dime as far as Chase is concerned. Why? Because your debt has been forgiven. If you're able to forgive, then nobody owes you anything anymore. We're good. We're even Steven. Well, I feel really bad about what happened. You shouldn't feel bad. Like, like we're good. That's what forgiveness looks like. And it doesn't require that person to apologize because let me just tell you, if I was waiting on the phone call from that family member, it never would have come. No lie. I would be standing here today, no lie, 25 years later, filled with anger and rage because that phone call of apology was never going to come. Ever. So at some point we have to choose to forgive as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. Our example is God's forgiveness towards us. Again, we forgive as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. How does God forgive? God forgives immediately. You know, it's interesting even in marriages when people say, you know, I'm willing to forgive as long as he shows that he's really sorry. You know, I'm going to give him a couple weeks, and then if he's really changed his ways, I'll, I'm willing to forgive then. That's not how God forgives. Aren't you thankful that when we confess our sin to God, God doesn't say, all right, we'll give it a couple weeks and see what happens, and then I'll tell you whether or not I'm willing to accept your forgiveness. No, no, God forgives immediately. God also forgives unconditionally. God doesn't say, yeah, prove it. I'll forgive you if you meet my conditions. 
One of the reasons why I hate false religion is because it gives this idea that God's willing to forgive as long as we do stuff to appease him. Catholicism and the false doctrine of penance gives the idea that if you're willing to really prove to God that you're sorry, then he's willing to maybe possibly forgive. Walk into a box and tell some guy what you've done wrong, and he'll tell you, go pray these five prayers ten times and then do a act of kindness to someone and then God will forgive you that's not how God forgives again 1 John 1 9 if we confess our sin he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness immediately no terms no conditions no proving anything how does God forgive God forgives again and again well what if this person does this again they probably will and you know what you should do then you should probably forgive him well, my husband keeps doing the same stupid thing again and again and again. How many times should I forgive him? When people ask that question, it's like, is there a camera somewhere? Is this is a setup? Is this a joke? How many times should I forgive my husband? My answer is always the same. I don't know, like seven? Would that be a lot? Like, I mean, seven's a lot, right? What did Jesus say? Yeah, seven times 70. That was funny, wasn't it? I don't think they were laughing at my joke. But Jesus said, seven? Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's a great place to start, terrible place to stop. Seven times 70, how about that? God continues to forgive again and again and again. And and let me just tell you this. If you're keeping score of of how many times you've been offended or how many times you've been done wrong, you're going to run out of room to write on your score sheet. You can't, and again, remember this, carrying unforgiveness doesn't make you the powerful one. I'm holding all these cards of all these debts of people who have done me wrong. I've got all the power now. No, you don't. You've got a heart full of anger and bitterness that has stolen your joy. Man, here's the thing. I have no hard feelings towards anybody on this planet because I can't afford it. I have nobody that I have ill will towards. When people say things like, well, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I don't even have an enemy. Like, I don't even know what that means. Now, there's not a single person on the planet that I have any ill will towards. I know of several people who hate my guts. But I don't have, I don't have a long list of people who have wronged me who need to make things right. I have no enemies. I have no one who I hold ill will towards because I've had to obey the Bible when it says forgive as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. God forgives and he also gives grace. This is how God forgives. And you might look and you say, well, I don't think I can forgive like that. Good. Then you need to put off the old man, be renewed, and put on the new man that follows after God. So, when it comes to forgiveness, it's us choosing to let go of the burden. Hey, it's not serving you. It's not helping you be the person that you want to be. It's not enhancing your life by holding on to that old debt that's probably never going to be resolved anyways. Just let it go. I choose to forgive And so then the question comes, well, are we just supposed to forgive and forget? The answer to that is sometimes yes, sometimes no, believe it or not. Here's the thing, forgiveness heals matters in our heart, but it doesn't always heal dealings with other people. 
The Bible commands us as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men for the best that you can do on your part. Some people don't want peace. Some people don't want a peaceful relationship. And you just got to say, hey, I did my best. Let me just say this too. And again, I want to help anybody who has kids here tonight. If you have a family member who has been involved in any type of abuse of any type, you don't forgive and forget. You forgive and protect is what you do. If somebody has, has abused you in any way, you can forgive them and release them of all the anger and bitterness that you hold in your heart, but you don't have to put yourself in a position where you would be abused or anyone else would ever be abused again. Look, if you got kids... You shouldn't put your kids in harm's way just because you just want to forgive and forget. That's not biblical. And so there's times where I can forgive and forget. Hey, if somebody's done me wrong or, or said something about me that was unkind or treated me unfairly or something like that, I can forgive and forget and pretend like it never happened. But if it's a situation of harm or safety for someone, I don't know that I'm willing to forgive and forget. I might need to forgive and protect so those situations like that are so delicate, but I'm talking primarily about just people who just done you wrong. Interesting thing about my story, my experience with unforgiveness and bitterness. I made that phone call, swallowed my pride, hung up the phone in a fit of rage again, asked God to forgive me, forgave that person for their unrepentant spirit when I was trying to be gracious. And then I just moved on with that relationship with that person. Called and checked in in a couple of weeks, see how things are doing. Hey, how things going with you? Anything new? Oh, same old stuff. Oh, good. From that phone call, we began to repair our relationship over the course of several years. And then no lie from that three years of, un of unforgiveness and bitterness in my heart. The phone call, about another seven years. I had an interaction with this family member, and it was late at night. We're sitting around talking and stuff like that, getting ready to call it a night. And they said, hey, Anthony, I want you to know that I was wrong. Would you forgive me? And you know what I said? Nope, already done. I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, that's, that's way, no, no, no. We're not having this conversation tonight. I forgave you a long time ago, and I hold no hard feelings towards you whatsoever. We're good. No, but I feel like there's some things to say. I'm going to stop you right there and just say, I don't even really remember what you're talking about. It's like, thank you. Hey. Thank God. He's a good God, isn't he? That was the end of the conversation. Later, I began to unpack in my mind and begin to, all the feelings and emotions that welled up in me in that moment of things that I should have said or was going to say. Or the, the, you know, again, the flesh wanted to bow up and say, are you kidding me? Like, finally. But then I thought to myself, again, after I was able to talk myself down and kind of process things through in a helpful way, I thought to myself, if I had waited around for an apology, the time span was 10 years. 
I lost three years of my life to anger and bitterness. To lose a whole decade? And again, now we're in a, a, a decent relationship where this person finally felt like they had enough comfort to apologize. If that hadn't happened, would it have been 10 years or would it have been 20? I don't know, but another day for me was too long to hold on to this unforgiveness and anger. I just couldn't do it. And man, God taught me so much through that experience. And to sit across the table from a husband who says, I just don't think I could ever forgive my wife. It's like, you can't afford not to forgive your wife. You just can't. Well, my, my, my dad's passed away now, but I still can't seem to forgive him. You can't not forgive your dad. And again, it doesn't say that what happened was okay. It doesn't absolve the person of any guilt or wrongdoing. It just says, hey, from my side, I'm, I can't carry this anymore. I give this to God, and I'm good. And again, whatever happens in the future happens, but on my side, I'm okay. I don't need anything from you to make this right. I'm not looking for an apology. I'm not looking for any type of restitution. I'm good because God has been gracious to me. And maybe you're here tonight and there's somebody that you just, you're mad at or you're angry or you're bitter towards. Maybe you're hanging on to that unforgiveness because you feel like, well, if I forgive this person, it's almost like what they did was okay. If I forgive this person, it's almost like all that stuff was for nothing. Look, your unforgiveness gives you no power, no leverage. It's just destroying you from the capacity to be able to have joy and love people again. Again, people when they're angry and bitter, I'll never love anybody again. I'll never trust anybody again. I'll never get close to anybody again. Oh, you got to give that to God because you're, you're, you're actually shortchanging yourself of what God wants you to do in life. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, Pastor, like, this has been super helpful, but like, I don't have any hard feelings towards anybody. Good. Don't start. Don't ever keep a long list of all the wrongs that somebody's done and that you're holding against them. That's not helpful. That's not beneficial. That's just destructive. So maybe you need to forgive. And again, self-forgiveness is not a biblical thing, but maybe you need to lean on the grace of God and ask God to forgive you for your inability to be willing to lean on him and receive his grace. Because look, there's only so much space in your heart and you got to clear that out for the spirit to do its work. Again, that's why verse 23 in our passage, yeah, 20, 22, put off the old man. Verse 23, be renewed. Verse 24, put on the new man. Don't let the old man hold you back. No, 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 no. I got to move forward. I got to push forward because God wants to do good things in my life, but I can't be a victim of my past. And most of us, the majority of us, need to spend less time looking in the rearview mirror at everything that's behind us. I need to start looking out the front windshield like, hey, whatever happened, happened. It may be the person I am today. I'm just pushing forward from here. Pastor, I don't know if I can do that. Good. The grace of God can do that for you. Thanks for joining us for the Huikala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m.